This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. Do anything that you want as long as it hits these two rules. One, would your mum be proud of you doing it? And just in case your mum is a psychopath. Secondly, would you be proud of it if it was in the public domain? Yes, we're in the company of the irrepressible Simon Biltcliffe, one of Yorkshire's finest. He's the boss of Webmart, a company combining both capitalist and Marxist ideals to create a sound, responsible business. Stay tuned. Yes, welcome back. This is episode 18 of The Better Business Show. Uh, thanks for tuning in, um, as ever. Uh, usual format this week, we're going to hear from uh, Simon Biltcliffe, as I say, uh, and then we're going to have a roundup of news towards the end of the show. Um, thanks to all of you for getting in touch, following my repeated request to do so if you have a business that wants to be featured on the show. Um, we've had a marvellous response. So many companies getting in touch now want to be part of this. Uh, and we've got some brilliant companies lined up in the coming weeks and, uh, well, months really. So if I haven't yet responded to you, I'm sorry, uh, I will do. It's been another mad, mad week. Very, very busy. Uh, the highlight of my week was uh, the National CSR Awards, which were last uh, Thursday, uh, run by the quite brilliant Karen Sutton and her team. So it's now in its second year. And uh, yeah, we had a great night down. I was a, a judge on this year's awards, so I was down there with the, the rest of the shortlisted companies and my fellow judges and, and different partners all, all got together uh, at the Crystal, which is um, uh, down in the, the Docklands in, in East London. Uh, so we had a good celebration, uh, some great projects uh, that entered the awards this year. So it's all, I, mean, I know there's lots and lots of award schemes out there, but they're always a useful way of, of, of seeing uh, what's going on, who's doing what and why and, and how people are doing things differently. So lots of great examples of... Uh, social responsibility, impact investment, community engagement, all sorts of different things. Companies big and small, uh, all doing some some really good things. Uh, so do have a look at the, the National CSR Awards website for all the winners so you get a picture of what's happening, particularly here in the UK. Um, and of course, if you are a UK-based business, then you know you can find out how to get involved next year. I do do really recommend it. Now, to repeat what I said last week, uh, next month we're going to be producing a downloadable PDF document uh, that's going to present all the, the great insights from our guests that we've had over the last um, 17 weeks now. Uh, loads of great insight from all of our different people that we've spoken to. Some more brilliant insight and advice and tips from today's guest as well, which we'll add to it. Uh, but we're going to produce this document that you can download. We're going to call it the, the Better Business Show Cheat Sheet. So if you want to get your hands on that, then... Uh, if you go to our website, betterbusiness.show, um, if you scroll below all of the episodes, all of the, the 17 or so episodes that we have, you'll sim see a simple form. Uh, we're just asking for your email address, so fill that in, so, uh, click send, and, and you'll start getting a newsletter from us, and then you'll be given that cheat sheet uh, exclusively uh, as a loyal listener, so do that. There's two brilliant moments during this week's uh, show. It's all pretty good, actually. We've got a fantastic guest this week, uh, Simon Biltcliffe, CEO and founder of Webmart. 
Um, the first moment is when he describes how staff within his company are appraised and assessed. Uh, and he too is assessed by his colleagues every six months and he's assessed uh, in the usual ways with traditional stuff like leadership and how he deals with problem solving and all that type of stuff. But he's also assessed on how well he can take a joke. And he actually, the results from the last six months say that he can take a joke 6.91% better than most of the people in his business. You'll hear it in, in a moment when we, when we play the show out. Uh, the second moment that really caught my attention is when he describes the process we normally go through when setting up a business and you know the so-called professionals we meet during that process and I did the same when I set up my business a year ago. Uh, the people we meet, so the accountants, the bank managers, the financial advisors, um, they encourage us to set up and run our business in the most conventional way possible because that's the way that it's always been and they're never going to suggest alternative ways of running a business, the ways in which Simon Billcliffe decided to run his business, Webmart. In There's a brilliant uh, video presentation which we'll put in the show notes and he kicks off by asking this audience of delegates, I don't know where it is, but um, that he had a kind of what if moment when he established the company back in 1997. What if he didn't have to run his business in a conventional way? What if he could have fun with it? What if he could turn a profit and share the spoils with not only the shareholders and, and the owners himself, but also his staff and, and the communities in which his company operates? Well, he's managed to achieve all of those things and more, and it's such a great story, mainly because as we get on to you know towards the end of our chat, the large majority of things that Simon is doing with Webmart didn't actually cost anything. And yet he's built a very successful and ultimately sustainable business because he isn't just interested in creating financial value, he also wants to create emotional and intellectual value too. And, you know, after all, businesses are just uh, a, a bunch of people doing stuff, uh, providing a products and service. And, and, you know, those products and services do have to be good and they have to be reliable and sound and all the rest of it. But, but without people, businesses are nothing. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy this one. So, Simon, thanks ever so much for finding the time to to join us here on the Better Business Show. Delighted to have you. Um, nice to be here. Yeah, great. So, Webmart is your business, uh, a print management company uh, that makes all all different sorts of uh, marketing collateral, I guess. Uh, printing, not an industry particularly well known for being sustainable or indeed sort of kind to the environment. Um, Tell us about your business. Give us a kind of in a nutshell. What what is it you do? Um, basically, we have uh, experts here who know all about printing. So anything that's printed, we can uh, advise on, and we consult for people who have a requirement to market um, their customers using the medium of print, and that's a huge market in the UK. It's thirteen billion pounds still. Wow. And uh, when you've got things like digital printing now, you can use all that big data you get from all your other media channels, and put it onto a physical medium that actually has an amazing ability to keep customers engaged with the latest offers that and the kind of uh, and the tactility that you can't get through any other marketing medium so it's quite an interesting uh, business we've got here about 30 million turnover there's 43 people here we have offices in uh, East Kilbride in Scotland in Barnsley in the north of England and in Bicester in Oxfordshire in three eclectic yellow sheds as we call them the yellow sheds and you're in Oxfordshire right now are you? absolutely I'm in Bicester at the moment okay so you don't do the printing yourselves just so we're clear on that you outsource that and you come back to this kind of 
I guess the, the middleman, you kind of bring all these projects together, do you? Well, we have, it's a huge industry, I mean, and we work on a global basis. So we harvest on one side, we harvest all of the innovation within the print industry. So there's lots of innovations happening all the time. Uh, and we bring that into our um, ecosystem, if you like, through our category management team. We're going out and seeing suppliers all the time. We bring that here and um, then whenever a customer wants anything, we know exactly where to go. So whether it's a catalogue or a brochure or a direct mail pack or a bit of point of sale or an uh, outdoor poster or anything, any, you know, promotional item, anything that's printed, we yeah. know immediately where to go to get the best price and the timely way to the best quality. And that's our, our business. Sure. So we have experts on one side and consultants on the other side and we match the two together. And, uh, and as you say, we don't physically manufacture anything, but we work with the best kind of print uh, solution providers in the market. Gotcha, gotcha. And your your mantra, which I know is all on your website, is about adding value, doing good, and having fun. And it's a, it's it's how you do things differently. And your core mo- motivation, you say, as a business, is is to do good and help those around you. Uh, and you've built this business on the philosophy of of Marxist capitalism. Something I know that you've spent time yeah. talking to to business schools around. I've seen some of your videos on YouTube. Explain what that is and, and why you've decided to, to build this business in this way. Well, really simply, um, you if you look at a business, in uh, any business, it's all about people. And the more experience you get uh, in business, the more you realize actually the only source of compar- comparative advantage is the people you have, how well you engage with them, how well you use the skills of, of them to deliver something exceptional. Everything else is superfluous to that. So I worked out in the um, early days of Webmart that if I can get a business that maximizes the return that people get within the business, um, it will give us a sustainable business. And I looked at three different ways, not just one way. Everybody kind of focuses on the financial, which is clearly important, uh, but it's not the most important thing. It's a mixture of the intellectual return you can give for anybody in your business, because that's the thing that actually keeps people driving. People are naturally wanting to maximize what their uh, ability is. So if you maximize that and you can give people the opportunity to do things that they're good at um, and take away from the things that they're not so good at, you also maximize the emotional return of working uh, at the company. And if you maximize the intellectual return, make them allow them to do and develop the things that they're good at and stop them doing things that they're not good at, and you allow them to therefore enjoy working, then if you've got those two, those two attributes in a person going to deal with a supplier or a customer, then you can see there's a difference in that person. There's an engagement difference in that person. As a consequence of that, you're more likely to get a financial return. Yeah, right. So we call it the IEF, intellectual, emotional, and financial return. Intellectual first, emotional second, third, financial. Now, in aggregate, then, you, you, if, you, if you understand that, that kind of triple bottom line of those things as to how you can deliver uh, a great career to people, um, you then use that with your clients and your suppliers. How do you maximize the, um, the understanding we have in uh, the print marketplace to give a competitive advantage to our customers? And we can do the same on the other side to the suppliers. You do that, you engage with them in a deeper level, you are financially successful. You then have what's called profits. You know, profit isn't a dirty word. Profit is an essential part of any sustainable business, of course. 
and then what so we use the we create the profits but then we use marxist redistribution of those profits to deliver an exceptional financial return to everybody within the business and the wider society and that's through a mechanism we call the sexy scheme which i can go on to later if you want or yeah. but that that's in its simplest nutshell you use capitalism to create value and then you use marxism to share it out fairly great well we will talk about the sexy bonus scheme in in, in shortly um your staff, what do they think about this approach? Presumably they, they love this approach. And, and how do you kind of know that this approach works? Obviously, financial returns is one thing, but how do you, how do you measure the other things? Well, we um, measure happiness. Uh, most people put their emphasis on KPIs on financial because it's easy to do. It's numbers. You know, and from our earliest days, we know that uh, numbers are easily measurable. But you can also measure the more ethereal things. So we have two ways of doing it. If you're looking at, let, let's say, um, have an emotional return that you get from working here. We have a happyometer that we've developed, which is a series of iPads around the building. Well, it was to just simply, you touch on it and say how you're feeling. A range of smiley faces, it aggregates together and is then played on the board that we have here and on our website. There's a, there's a feed to it on our website so you can see how happy we are as a business working on a day-to-day basis. So in its simplest way, you can, you can measure happiness through your business. We also do, uh, we've developed a bit of software which allows us to do anonymous um, assessment of each person within the business every six months and these aren't based on their individual performance because we have dashboards for uh, sales you know figures and all that kind of stuff all that not normal stuff we're not you know it's not a kibbutz it's a it's a absolutely first-class business you know and it has all of the KPIs we have all of the accountability matrix and skills matrix that you have you know through very good businesses um, but we also have things like we measure how well people share um, so we have every six months, we do a 360 on everybody, uh, fully anonymous. Um, everybody ranks everybody. Um, that is then shared amongst the leadership team so they can help the mentoring and development of each person within that. Uh, mine, um, as CEO, is made public. So that's right, how I get right. my accountability. Mine's the only one that's made public, and it's posted on our website, and it's post and it's uh, shared internally before that. So th- I get an assessment every um, six months about how well I'm doing. Right, and and so how well are you doing? Uh, well, if you, uh, I mean, I can give you some of the uh, the, the <laughs> stats that you've got. The the last one we did was in January. Um, we're coming up to the um, six month one uh, very soon. And we've done this for the last few few uh, years, so it's um, it, it, we've got a good baseline, and we see how we put, uh, we develop. I can tell you the actual criteria uh, that we are uh, assessed on. This uh, how well I share knowledge and wisdom. Uh, my reliability at work, my teamwork, problem solving, all the way through to things like how well I take a joke. Okay, and for okay. example, uh, my, my team has assessed that uh, I take a joke 6.91% better than the average web martyr. <laughs> so it, when people say you can't measure these kind of soft things, that's absolute nonsense. You really, really can if you put the same amount of effort into capturing that type of insight that you do on the on, on the in inverted commas softer targets uh, yeah. as you do on the financial so yeah. the trouble is most companies only measure one thing and as the old adage goes for the man with the hammer the whole world is a nail if yeah. you only look at one thing then you only measure one thing 
and as a consequence of that, everything else gets ignored. And that's where you get these kind of woeful statistics about productivity, about engagement in the workplace. And then you put all these kind of sticking plaster policies in, in, in place to, to try and build that up. You know, um, whereas the truth of the matter is, if you have it as part of the core competence of you as a business uh, to assess that on an ongoing basis, then you don't have to put those kind of sticking plaster policies in place because it's part of everyday life of what you're trying to achieve. And as a consequence, people, as soon as they come in here into the, uh, the yellow sheds, they feel the difference. Every time they pick the phone up, they feel the difference. Every time they uh, have a job going through, a project going through, they feel the difference in the service delivery that we get. And our suppliers do feel exactly the same. Right. So it, it permeates everything. Rather than it being an add-on, yeah. it is core to the comparative advantage that we have as a business, which gives us a sustainability, which has meant that in 20 years of being going, I've never had to borrow a penny off anybody. Right. We've never had to worry about the banks um we've never had to have an hr department we've never had to uh, engage a headhunter so all of these kind of things that you think oh, okay you know these are costs to the business uh, we don't have right, so right. because of that you've got transparency and trust running through the business because we we demonstrate it we show that then it takes a huge amount of overhead out of your business that other companies have to do yeah. so it gives you a more efficient way of working than anybody else because yeah. it's the most effective way of working. And, and the other thing you've invested heavily by the looks of things on your website is, is these big yellow sheds, as you, yep. as you describe them. It uh, looks like you've built an amusement park in one of them. Um, how important was kind of transforming that working environment to this overall philosophy? It was more of a, a, a kind of effect than a, than a cause. I mean, we'd right. been running for 10 years before we did it. We bought a, sh a, a shed in Vista, um, and um, it was basically going. I looked at it as a as a kind of Lego building. It's a it's a shell. We can do whatever you want in it. And then gradually, we've evolved into a place where which is full of really interesting rooms. And if you've got interesting rooms and interesting places and different places where you can, you can break out, people are more creative. It sets a different dynamic in each meeting that you have with a customer, with a supplier. It also is attractive to people to come and visit. And uh, there's an open invite to your um, people who are listening to this. If they want to come down, uh, put a link on to us and we'll let them have a look around the Yellow Shed of Wonderment. It's, uh, it, it's a very interesting place. As soon as you get down here, you feel the difference. Right. And right. if you're wanting people to be creative which we all do. And if you're wanting people to be interested um, in coming to work, and bear in mind, we probably spend more time here um, uh, awake than we do at home or anywhere else, then if you want it to be an engaging, interesting place then you, uh, to work, then you have to have a building that reflects that. And that's what we're trying to do here. As a, on a financial perspective, every time a customer comes here or a supplier comes here or somebody who may be a customer or a supplier comes here, it saves about three or four hundred pounds. Right. Because right. if people are coming to us, we're not having to go to them. So even on a, on a kind of return on investment point of view, but most people say, how can you afford to do this? Well, actually, A, I'm from Yorkshire. I do it on a on a shoestring. I'm, I don't waste money wherever possible. It isn't expensive if you if you do it yourself. Secondly, uh, every time I look at the cost, if I put this into it, what? How many people do we have to get visiting the shed to save that money? Yeah. And yeah. return on investments there. 
Yeah, not many. Um, tell us about the, the bonus scheme. So you mentioned it earlier. You, you call this the Webmart Sexy Bonus Scheme. Yeah. Uh, and this is about kind of sharing the spoils of the company, is it? How does it work and, and why do you do it? Well, it's, re- it's a really simple system. So we've, the Sexy Scheme stands for Senior Executive Incentive Scheme. And anybody within Webmart who's been there, uh, worked here for two years, is a senior executive. You've, okay. you've, put, you've put a shift in, so it's fully inclusive. Everybody is in the scheme if they've been here for two years plus. We then work out in the normal way, we create as much uh, profit as we possibly can, operating profit. Um, so we you know, we invest wisely and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And we worked out two um, enough. How much is enough that you need in the business? And for us, we need to retain profit to invest in the business, in people, etc. And we worked out really simply, and it's totally arbitrary, it's, uh, that £400,000 profit was enough. It could have been 300 it could have been 500 but we worked out 400 was enough. And so that was the retained profits in the business. Over that post-tax amount of £400,000, which is retained in the business, half of the amount, up to a million pounds, goes to me as the owner, Another half goes to the team as a distribution. Above a million pounds profit, which we've done for the last three years, um, the entire amount of that, 100% of that, goes to the team. Right. Right. So I've got enough to look after my family, friends, da-da-da-da-da, and have the kind of life I want. The business has enough, so we never have to borrow any money. So those two things are taken care of. And then all of the growth, all of the opportunity then vests to everybody who's been here two years. And we put the surplus profits, as we call that. Uh, The surplus profits is a lump of money. We then divide it by the base salary of everybody who is in the business over two years. Um, We don't ignore commissions or any other bonus scheme, so it's just the base salary of everybody. You divide one by the other and get a percentage, and that gets distributed after the audit to everybody in the business. Now, three years ago, that equated to 22% of the base salary of everybody. Uh, last year, it was 33%. This year was 43.7% of base salary to everybody in the business. Wow. Now, if you look at that as a model, we, it has a number of, uh, of attributes. One, we've got enough money that we never have to limit our choices by taking external investment, and we never have to sell. Yeah. Two, I'm looked after because I've got an alignment with the team that every I get a pound for every pound they get up to a million pounds over that amount. Happy days. Yeah. So I'm sorted out. And they have unlimited opportunity to earn as much as they possibly want by being better. So they will only bring in the right people into the business to recruit the right people. We'll only have the right behaviors within the business because any non-right behaviors are... Uh, hurting everybody we maximize every opportunity organically because of the fact that it benefits everybody we do the right thing in the long term with no short termism here Um, so all of the kind of stuff that you look within a uh, conventional business as things that you have to think about as a ceo Mm. are taken care of yeah so i've got the easiest job in the world and that allows me to then spin the hierarchy upside down so i'm supported by Lisa, my PA, who really does add a huge amount of value to me. I can be 30 to 40% more efficient because she is there working with alongside me, allowing me to do things like talking to you now. Yeah. 
which I wouldn't be able to do otherwise, then I'm there to, so I have direct, direct support, as I call them. These are people who I am directly supporting. So that's the senior management team that, are, that I, I am sitting underneath to support them in their roles. They run the business with the teams and they're supporting their teams. And the teams are the people who are dealing with our clients and suppliers all of the time. Um, so they're the ones that know what we need to do to improve the business going forward. They sense check it amongst themselves and then the senior management team sense check it amongst each other to make sure, again, on one side of the equation isn't costing on the other side and we make equilibrium in the improvements of the business and they get ahead and do it. And so if you think of Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, my role in that pyramid is to make security, we have support, we have the right environment for people to be successful. And by inverting the management structure, people on the top are the ones that get the most uh, self-realization and self-opportunity uh, to um, opportunity to deliver the best intellectual and emotional return for themselves because they are helping drive the business forward by their initiatives, etc., etc., etc. Right, right. And it and just works really well. Yeah, and so the pyramid is completely spun the other way. Absolutely. How much of your business comes as a result of this approach? How, how, do, you, how do you know this is working, basically? Why do you, <coughs> how do you know whether customers keep coming back to you, specific, you know, specifically because of this? I don't this think they approach? do. I, I don't think they care, to be honest, most, most customers. What they do care about is the service that they get, the innovation right. that they get, the going above and beyond the call of duty that they get. Yeah. The cost effectiveness of the service that we can deliver, you know, our cost of service is half that of the people, other people who offer this service. Well, that's not because we work people harder, it's because we always look to be more efficient. And if there's a way of creating efficiencies within it, then I've got 43 people who are looking um, at making the business more efficient because it benefits them, it benefits our customers, we'd be more responsive to our suppliers as well. So you're engaging everybody and everybody has the same view of the business everybody has the management accounts everybody has the management meeting notes everybody has access to any meeting it gets recorded as on, a, on a, as an internal podcast right. i do a weekly update for five minute video on a monday morning where i share with, uh, with everybody exactly what's going on in the business so they have a weekly update of how we're doing whatever which they can look at if they want to or stream it later if they want to or not bother it it's entirely up to them yeah, but yeah. You, so it changes the dynamic massively so as far as suppliers and customers are concerned all they do is see the right kind of behaviors that they want with a, with a supplier or a client we pay yeah. on time we're there on time we need we go above and beyond when they need us and we are the we know more about printing than uh, anybody else in the marketplace and we deliver that at a lower cost so it's those kind of you, you know the kind of comparative advantage that they see uh, rather than the mechanics behind it it's right like when you buy a car Truth be known, you don't actually care how they get 60 miles to the gallon and you don't care how they do it at that price. You just want to use it and yeah. you're delighted it does. And yeah, that's, yeah. That, you know, it's a feature benefit thing. They like the benefits. They're not overly concerned generally about the features. Although when you start talking to them, certainly at a senior level, uh, then there are an awful lot of common links between us as a business. Take outside what we do, the how we do it, the engagement that you can get and stuff. All of the, the, at the most senior level within an organisation, either an owner manager or at a main board director, they are really very interested in the kind of things that I'm talking about as a how 
you do it because that's transferable. Yeah, a lot yeah. of this can be. Um, I mean, businesses are all the same. We do different things, but it's all about people. It's all about understanding the dynamics externally. How do you harvest market intelligence and all that? All that kind of thing mm. is universal. The the what we do is specific to ourselves. Sure. And so, where did all this start? Uh, Simon and what, what were you doing before you established Webmart and, and when did all these kind of ideas of how you wanted to run this business you know start to formulate um, well I, I, I'm, I'm very pr- proudly from uh, Barnsley in Yorkshire and you get an awful lot of uh, common sense up there it's very straightforward now, the, you, you call a spade a spade and that directness and that honesty and straightforwardness uh, is in your DNA but then also you can see how when you work at companies how you have many different versions of the truth and you you, you end up with this politics and all of this kind of command and control structure and it just really didn't work um, and so I thought when I started Webmarter let's, let's try and do the exact antithesis of that and let's see what happens and the truth of the matter is, most people, there are no books about this approach. There are no uh, case studies about this approach. So you, you're going on kind of, uh, you, you're treading your own furrow and just to see, and it may not have worked, but the truth of the matter is, um, 20 years in, we have still never borrowed anything. We've always been profitable. Um, and we've got a sustainable business model, uh, both in terms of financially and environmentally and as far as the way that we engage with people in the, in the long run to give them a fantastic career. So it does work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, would, I would contend with anybody that this is a better way of running a business than what is seen as the conventional way um, in most textbooks. Yeah. And you say that if it adds intellectual, emotional or financial value to us, our customers, our suppliers, then you do it. What if a decision is to be made that only adds value in, in, in kind of one of those ways? It can't do, work. So you don't still do it. So I think no. that installing a gym on site would yep. win you lots of points from your staff, no doubt, who feel you know, more emotionally attached to the business. But how do you know that that then brings financial value, intellectual well, value? Uh, because if you look at, uh, uh, at people, there is a, obviously, psychologically, there is a very strong uh, effect between being physically able and fit and mentally able and fit. So if you have fitter people who are more physically strong, you, you know, and I don't mean we've got bodybuilders here, yeah, but f- physically you're, you're more capable of um, physically doing things. You're more mentally capable of doing things, therefore you do your job better. Yeah. Simple as that. And if all you do is spend all your time um, exercising one muscle in your head and you ignore the rest of it, you can't work as optimally as possible. Not, and being completely uh, honest, you want to look at it in its, in its truest sense, the cost of the investment, you get less days off. Yeah, yeah. Because people are fitter, people are healthier. You get, you're less likely to go down with colds, flus, and all that kind of stuff. So you, get, you have uh, much lower illness rates than uh, anybody else. So common sense really sure. and therefore you offer better service to your customers because of continuity of service and all that kind of stuff so they gain out of it you know etc yeah yeah are there any kind of particular challenges to running a business in this way i, I you know i imagine recruiting the right people uh, that really sort of buy into this approach is, is key to making it work is it it is it's a marmite business model as so you'll either love it or hate it um right. and that's fine you know, we have people that say they love that transparency of this and the other, and then actually, when you get to it, no, they don't. Um, mm. They they say that you know, I mean, we've got a very rigorous recruitment policy, so we don't tend to have too many people 
um, that come in and uh, and go these days. So we have three sets of interviews. We have a psychometric before they come on. After the three months, then uh, the business takes a vote an uh, anonymously on uh, how well they feel they're doing, which gets fed through to their uh, team leader. And after six months before they come up with their probationary period, we do the same again. So it's, it's a pretty high hurdle you've got to get in here. But we don't want loads of people. We want really good people. And that's yeah. ethically as well as uh, ability-wise. Um, and we want to train the right people with the right kind of uh, natural proclivities to be the very best that they can be. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's quite a rigorous onboarding of people into the business. Um, but once you've done that, then, then you're, you're pretty well uh, set and we, we have a very low turnover rate, as you'd imagine. Well, yeah, I can imagine. I, I imagine it's also, if you have worked for another company and you, you come to Webmart, it must be quite difficult perhaps i guess if you don't get you know if you don't get the right sort of person to get your head around things like you know how in, how incredibly transparent you are are there any kind of pitfalls to being that upfront and open and honest as a business you know things like you know uh, the, the bonus scheme uh, i think on the on your website i noticed that you you print how many how many the average number of days it takes you to pay suppliers, things like that, incredibly transparent. I mean, that must take a while for people to get get to grips with, right? Um, yeah, well, not really. I mean, you, every every company has this information. You know, they, they, we all know what we do. Um, sure, all you've yeah. got to do is send it, is share it, and that drives the right behaviours. If you're not proud of something, then you've got to change it. You yeah. know, but you, I've got we've got two rules in the business: do anything that you want as long as it hits these two rules one would your mum be proud of you doing it and just in case your mum is a psychopath secondly would you be proud of it if it was in the public domain now if you have those two rules and apply it to anything you don't go wrong because yeah. it's really really simple and if you look at most of the challenges that we have in the world it's because of trans uh, it isn't transparent enough MPs wouldn't have done that with their expenses if they'd have been published Mm, yeah. Hillsborough wouldn't have happened if there there had been transcripts that that had been made very clear. We wouldn't have the, all these issues in Panama or anywhere else or Switzerland if it was made uh, uh, really open. Yeah. So transparency is, in my view, the most powerful force for good in the planet. Yeah. If you the more transparent you are, the better it is because actually people know what's right. People know what the right behaviours are, and we see huge amounts of uh, things which are not right because they're opaque. So if you can drive transparency, you can drive the change that you want to see in the world. And all I'm all I'm trying to demonstrate with Webmart as a case study outside of you know doing a great job for customers and suppliers, etc., is that you can be both transparent, sustainable, and successful by doing it 180 degrees away from the conventional norm. Mm, yeah and why aren't more companies doing and, and taking this approach because as you say it is a great case study of of how companies of all shapes and sizes can can kind of make a shift to do things differently like this and uh, you know a lot of the things that you're doing uh, do not need a considerable amount of investment which is always no, the, the kind of barrier that people cheaper. exactly I, I just wonder i mean a lot of it's a shift in mindset isn't it and it is why, why aren't we seeing more companies shift. do this yeah i mean yeah. i think if you look at if you look at it um being honest, outside in the big wide world outside, you have these things called professional advisors. Whenever you start a business up, you go and see a lawyer, you see an accountant, you see a banker. All of those three have had to go through professional and in inverted commerce qualifications. What that means is they have gone through a effectively 
a mind-narrowing experience of what success looks like. So to be accredited within those three remits, you have to have gone through a process of blinkering yourself to alternatives. So as a vulnerable young entrepreneur or as a person that, you know, relies on a team around you and you've not actually tried it, they will always say, this is the way you do it, because that's what they're told, this is the way you do it. If you don't listen to the conventional wisdom, then you've got a huge range of choice that you can do. Now, it comes with some kind of risk because not many people do it. Very few people do it. All I'm trying to do is show it in my own way, and it's it's not, you know, there are many iterations you can do of it. But in my own way, all I'm doing is showing, actually, it can be done. You can have everything that you want in a business, a company that you're proud of, that you have got a great team of engaged people in a really difficult marketplace. I mean, print, for heaven's sake, is a very mature marketplace, 500 years old. It's gone through the normal business cycles that everybody's got with crashes and what have you. It's, but it's also gone through a structural change because you know print used to be the lowest cost medium for communicating with people then the internet came about so we've gone through all of that and it shows it's got resilience and sustainability built into it because we've made profit every year so it's it's got that flexi uh, <coughs> flexibility in it but the truth of the matter is of course you need these case studies to prove to people that it can be done because conventional wisdom is it can't be done and yeah. so this it's rather like with roger bannister when he did the four minute mile uh, nobody thought it could be done and the reason we remember him now is because he hit that and proved that it can be done what we don't remember is the guy within two weeks that beat his time <laughs> and it and the, the because he changed the paradigm he changed what it could be done that self-belief that mental belief that you can do it was changed by him hitting that beating four minute mile and so i think with business we can change it really quickly by just having it so that you don't just measure one thing, you know, in terms of financial. You're missing a trick if you're just measuring one thing. Measure three things, the intellectual, emotional, and financial return, which you can do, measure all those three things. And then you've got a business that you can be sustainable in the long run, that get all of the benefits that we've talked about, you can have, and it doesn't cost any money to do it. So I, I think it's just simply proving the case that there are choices out there. And as soon as you have look at our figures and you look at our business and you look at our things, say, right, you know, I don't want necessarily people to copy you or that you feel free to copy anything that we do. Um, but it just shows you have a choice and you can run it the way you want to run it and be successful rather than run it the way that professional advisors and the normal media say you have to be this horrible pointy angry kind of di dictator within the business sure sure simon it's wonderful to hear your story of, of web martin and your approach you're taking lots and lots for our listeners to learn i think from from what you've done and, and the levels of transparency and all the things that uh, you believe in your values and how that's kind of setting you apart as you say in a very competitive market so uh, yeah thanks for joining us on the better business show and uh, wish you all the very best Thank you. And if anybody wants to come down to have a look around it themselves, I don't have to be here. Just uh, give us a ring. The number's on the website, uh, webmartuk.com, and uh, come around and have a look and feel it yourself. So there we go. Simon Billcliffe there, the chief uh, webmateer, uh, as he calls himself, the boss and founder of print management business, Webmart great character there's something so refreshingly straightforward and honest about a yorkshireman um 
love him. Love his approach to business and, and connecting the dots between you know emotional, intellectual, and financial value. So much to take away from that, I'm sure. I hope you agree. Uh, all of the details on Webmart and Simon's approach to business are online with this week's show notes. Uh, so head over to betterbusiness.show for that. Right, okay, it's time for a brief update on the news from across the world of sustainable business. Let's find out who's doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Good afternoon, Vix. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, Tom. How are you doing? I'm very well. Yeah, indeed. Uh, So lots going on uh, this week. Lots of different stories out there. Uh, We've picked up on a few. Uh, Let me start with this one. Story about a a Californian winery uh, that's using earthworms to clean up its wastewater. Uh, so yeah, making wine hugely water intensive. I think in the piece that I wrote, uh, I read 14 gallons of water it takes to make one glass of wine. So really water intensive. So lots of vineyards now looking at new ways of using water, particularly in California, which obviously uh, has experienced a, a you know enormous drought and is still sort of feeling the effects of that. Obviously we had Half Moon Bay Brewery in episode uh, what was it now? Episode eleven of the Better Business Show. So, um, who, who talked about that very, that very subject? So, this is another company, Fetzer Vineyards, has uh, is, is using earthworms to treat its on-site wastewater, uh, using a solution invented in Chile uh, by a company called Biofiltro. So, most wineries they they kind of move wastewater around for a series of kind of you know aeration ponds where they kind of uh, treat that water over several weeks. Well. Biofiltro says, no, don't do that. Spray the wastewater into these giant bins that are filled with earthworms. And uh, and they basically clean the water uh, just as well in about four hours. Uh, so no need for, for massive tanks on site, no electricity used. And the only kind of byproduct is is uh, worm poo, uh, which um, you know can be used back on the fields in the vineyards. It's a br- brilliant story, this one. Mm, I had no idea that wine used so much water. Like, 14 gallons, it seems crazy. Um, but these worms are a bit like a high-speed high speed processing plant, aren't they? Um, they are. They are. Uh, but I know in the article, um, it says they declined to disclose the cost. So do you think it's pretty expensive? I mean... Why would well, it be? I, I mean, how, how much do worms cost? Well, I can't see how it can be expensive it's, it's... compared to the traditional <laughs> way of doing stuff. So I think this is this is great. But I think Fetzer is, you know, they've got a bit of a history in, in kind of investing in, in different, uh, you know, sustainable elements. I think they're, they're big on renewable energy. Uh, they became a B corporation, uh, I think, last year. So, you know, they've obviously got a history of this sort of stuff. But no, I don't think it, I don't think it can be expensive compared to, the, to what would normally happen on a vineyard. Uh, but again, yeah, no, no real idea. Yeah, surely not. And also about your, um, you mentioned, was it Half Moon Brewing Company that you chatted to? Um, and they right. made, made their lager with wastewater. Um, that's right. It's yeah, the same, same, uh, same part of America, California. Um, so I wonder if they've considered that as well. But to be fair, um, they've still got the problem that they can't, is it they can't legally sell the drink if they make it with wastewater or something? So yeah, maybe that's it's not the, that viable at the minute. No, that's the problem that the Half Moon Bay Brewery have. They're, they're trying to get the regulators to overturn that. Uh, but that's something we talked about in, in back in that show. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, lots of these companies out there are, are really struggling with uh, with water. Um, uh, it's not necessarily the cost of water, it's just getting access to it. And um, 
yeah, so plenty of you know plenty of room for innovation, and this is another good example of, of kind of doing things differently. So I think this this company Biofiltro is now in six countries, um, and obviously they're targeting uh, you know places that are experiencing drought. And uh, but yeah, it looks like they're getting some traction with this. Okay, so what else have you found, Vix? What else is going on? Cool. So um, some of you might have seen on TV uh, last month, Waitrose launched. A series of TV adverts showing their real farms, their real farms that they supply from. Strapping cameras to cows and showing chickens strutting about and pecking cameras and the lot. And uh, their latest ad this month they filmed in shows the side of a fishing boat with, and then the tagline on each says, everything we do goes into everything we taste. So it's real farms, it's where they get their real food from. And then the footage that they film is actually put out on television the day it was filmed. Too. So, um, what do you think of that? Yeah, obviously not something our our uh, well our viewers in or our, sorry our viewers our listeners in uh, in uh, parts of the world outside the UK have seen. I think they're brilliant. They're really lovely produced videos as well, aren't they? And uh, yeah, I, I I do like it when companies like this try to mainstream the kind of sustainability communications in in TV adverts. And uh, I guess yeah, plenty of companies have done it. I think. Most obvious example is probably sort of McDonald's, which is, which is you know kind of really worked hard to kind of connect the, the farmer stories to consumers in in stores and things. But um, I think they're just really it's almost like food porn, isn't it? The way that, the, that you see the chickens and then you see the the eggs going into the yeah. bowl and then ended up on a, an eggs Benedict or something. But they're just yeah, really well produced. Yeah, I mean, because in a way it seems like, oh, of course, you know, free range. Okay, they are really free range. They're not covering anything up. But I sort of assume sometimes that you get your eggs from this farm and then they just slap a Tesco label on it or they slap a M&S label on it and a Waitrose label and it's the same suppliers. But they, I think they do have different commitments because Waitrose say that they're the only supermarket to guarantee that their eggs are free range. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I so, think must, yeah. so there must be a level of exclusivity there. And I think you know, there's more and more interesting food issues. And, and of course, understanding where food comes from is, is a huge part of that. And I think companies are realising that opening up and explaining supply chains a bit more, which is you know, often quite a complex thing, but, but you know, making it easy to understand. I think there's more of a pre, you know, an appreciation for this out there. And uh, I mean, particularly in the UK, it's so many, I'm not too sure what it's like in other parts of the world, but so many TV shows now looking at this stuff. You know, I've had the whole Jamie Oliver stuff. You've had the, is it Jimmy's Farm that, that, that looks at kind of where food's coming from. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah much more interest in, in food supply issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know they announced recently as well that um, their essential milk, um, the cows that produce that milk have to be outdoors for 100 days a year. So you think that essential right. milk in one supermarket is the same as milk in another. It looks the same, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that where they have these disparities. And would, and would these TV adverts make you shop there? I mean, do they work for someone like you, Vix? Yeah, well, that, that thing about we're the only supermarket that guarantees free range kind of makes me think oh so the free range in other supermarkets does that mean they're probably free range but they might not be there might be a few mistakes along the line I don't know so I think it would encourage me um the the fishing one I don't know if you watched it that one didn't I I didn't see the fishing one actually no 
it, it's basically um, a camera on the side of a boat. So it's just kind of for a few seconds, it's kind of just the side of a ship bobbing along. But I would have been more interested to see the fishermen and them actually fishing. So uh, I found that yeah. one a bit boring by comparison. So speaking of uh, fish, uh, there's a new report out that says that the global sustainable seafood market has really just taken off in the last 10 years. It's now worth $11.5 billion. Uh, it says that, yeah, the demand for labelled seafood that's certified as being sustainable actually accounts for 14% of the global market for seafood, up from less than 1% a decade ago. And this is basically as a result of some fairly big commitments being made by big companies like Walmart and Whole Foods and Ikea uh, and McDonald's uh, as well. Uh, and I guess companies like Waitrose um, who have said that we're only going to source sustainable uh, seafood. And that's basically what we're going to do. And we're really going to get to grips with the, the mismanagement of our oceans, which has been going on for, for absolutely ages now. Um, so, yeah, lo loads written about the impact of certification and whether it really works and whether it's having the actual impact uh, or whether it's just creating this kind of big market of uh, certification bodies and auditors and all that type of stuff. Um, but this is a report produced by an alliance of different organizations and it says that seafood that's been certified as coming from a sustainable source uh, by groups like the Marine Stewardship Council, uh, Friends of the Sea, the Aquaculture Stewardship Council. So now 14% of overall uh, seafood production. So it's huge, I mean, it's huge, big, big, big market. Mm, I mean, it just shows what a big impact large business can make, you know, kind of a top-down approach. And when one starts, often they all follow. Um, but also on the consumer side, I think that it's because the imperative is on like, if we don't catch this tuna sustainably, there won't be any tuna left to catch. Um, whilst with something like sustainable beef, there will still be cows, but the meat is produced in a more efficient way. Um, yeah. Although to be fair, a business like McDonald's has gone for both, haven't they? They're, they're into their sustainable beef too. They are. I don't know whether the, the consumer really cares. I, I, you know, I think that in the same report, it actually says a third of consumers well, only a third of consumers recognise the MSC label, for example. Mm. Um, so, you know, the market's growing, but I think it's really being, you know, beefed up and supported properly by, by companies making commitments rather than consumers, you know, uh, choosing more sustainable options. I think it's the companies that are really driving it and kind of choice editing for consumers rather than it being consumers putting pressure on companies I mean I guess there's been a bit of that and I guess the NGO community has, has done quite a lot to to make sure companies do make these commitments uh, but I don't think the pressure is coming from consumers mm, yeah maybe um, it's it's just a supply chain risk thing you know they want a steady supply of fish <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. a good way to 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 sustain it and to ensure that it'll be there in the future that's right uh, and, and and the debate goes on about certification because you know, the market might be growing for certified sustainable seafood, but many of the, the issues around, you know, overfishing or exploiting, a, you know, different species is still there. And so, you know, certification of, sea, of the seafood sector has been there for a while now, but it's not having that great an impact. So, you know, there's still a need to kind of keep pushing standards and to scale up and, and push out the reach of, you know, seafood you know, certification is still something that, that needs to happen. So there was recently um, a video interview on CNN um, and it was an interview with Emma Watson. So she vowed last year to only wear sustainable fashion on the red carpet. 
and her dress for the Met Gala Ball, possibly the biggest night in fashion, um, was sustainable. So it's designed by Calvin Klein and made up of elements that can be worn again. So although it looks like a dress, afterwards it can be taken apart and worn. There's like trousers underneath the skirt, a bustier and a skirt. So she can wear all that again. And she says this is what the future of fashion is. And the material is actually also made from old plastic bottles. So it's from this, you know, just turning something trash into something kind of beautiful. Um, so it's just a, an interesting thing. You know, obviously celebrities are a great way to, you know, move these trends forward. Um, do you think it'll catch on? Do you think that, you know, business will be looking at this and thinking, hmm, what can I, we do around this? Yeah, I know this has really sort of taken off across social media the last couple of weeks, isn't it? The, what everyone was wearing. And, well, I mean, it's a world that's very much more yours than it is mine, Vix. Um, you know, the fashion world is, well... It all seems a bit incredibly odd and, and a bit sinister. I don't know why, but so much talk about ethics and kind of des, you know from designers in, in in the last few years, and yet you know the whole industry is so inherently unsustainable, uh, just by its very nature. I mean the way that you know all the the styles change every season, and you know the, the whole throwaway culture um, that it kind of supports. And um, but yeah, you're right. These these events they do get lots of uh, attention. And uh, and Emma Watson is is I think she's great. You know she's she's got lots of lots of great values that she kind of likes to talk about. And uh, and this is another kind of big statement, I guess. Um, so it's made out of plastic bottles. The, the, the question is, will she wear these other elements again? Yeah, and will she be pictured wearing them? Because <laughs> if she's not pictured wearing them, people are like did did she actually reuse them? <laughs> so yeah. she has to make a point of it. Um, but I mean, I don't know about you, but. I don't have a lot of red carpet events to go to. Um, but I think, for, well, I mean, you probably, I don't know, do you use the same suit every time, you know, your, your kind of posh suit um, every time you go to a red carpet event? But for women, it's, there's this culture of wearing a new dress for every, yeah. every kind of posh event you go to. Um, otherwise, at least in the celeb world, you've been quote unquote caught out. Um, but yeah, like, I, I have a great maxi dress that I love but it's white and it's long and all the all the sort of like posh events I go to at the moment are weddings and it's like you can't wear a long white dress to a wedding <laughs> so that's like I don't know if that's a very sustainable choice yeah I, to be honest I count myself very lucky to not have to worry about such things I have a good selection of suits and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, they've served me very well over the last 10 years um good I mean all the stars were there weren't they you had um Lady Gaga and Nicki Minaj and Kim Kardashian, what was she wearing? I mean, if, if Kim Kardashian turned up in a dress made of plastic bottles, I mean, that would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe you need someone like that to do it, to really, like, cause a storm. This is it. I mean, Emma Watson is, is renowned <laughs> for kind of talking about sustainability issues and and, uh, and ethics. Uh, Nick, uh, you know, the likes of Kim Kardashian, if she made a statement, suddenly it kind of reaches out to this, this different demographic and gets people talking that wouldn't normally be talking about this stuff Vix thank you for joining us and um, and we'll catch up with you again next week catch up with you then so that's it for another week on the Better Business Show thanks for tuning in apologies for this being slightly longer than normal uh, but we did cram a whole load of stuff in with Simon Biltcliffe early on in the show and I hope you uh, got as much of 
uh, as much out of that as I did uh, listening to him. So it's brilliant. Um, anyway, we'll be back again next week. In the meantime, please do subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud or something uh, similar. iTunes uh, is probably the, the best destination, but we're also on SoundCloud, uh, Deezer, Stitcher, and TuneIn if they uh, they take your fancy as well. Um, so yeah, please do that. And please do share the show uh, through the week. Uh, get on social media and give us a shout out. It'd be great. Um, but until, yeah, until next week, uh, we'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye.